Okay, now let me turn your attention to Luke 19. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Luke 19, I'm going to start in verse 28, and the passage goes all the way over to verse 44. I want to stop short of that before we get to Jesus looking at Jerusalem, the, the weeping over Jerusalem. And I want to instead take this narrative that carries us down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Brook, and up into Jerusalem. Let's use this narrative to talk about who we are in Christ. I'll turn your attention. Luke chapter 19, I'll start in verse 28. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 28. <clears throat> and when he had said these things, that's Jesus, when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by your Spirit, you would minister to our hearts. For every discouraged soul, may we sense your presence and rejoice in your goodness. For every sinner that's still seeped and steeped in sin, God, would you awaken them to see the beauty of Christ and the joy of forgiveness. We pray for reconciliation. We pray for worship. We pray for encouragement. We pray for strength. And we ask you to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 410, 410 A.D., the unthinkable happened. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard part of this. In 410, the unthinkable happened. The eternal city, the city of Rome that stood so strong for 800 years, the eternal city was sacked by Alaric and the Visigoths. As people fled out of Rome, they went in all directions, and some of them got in boats and crossed the Mediterranean quickly getting to North Africa where there was a man in his prime, 50 years old. I'm 53. It puts me a little past prime. Seeing how 53 is a prime number, I'm exactly prime. There's a man that was 50 years old who had risen through the ranks of the Catholic Church, which was the only church at the time, and there he was as the Bishop of Hippo, and people were flooding into his town. 
This preacher needed answers. Many of them were blaming uh, the fact that they were Christians because Christianity hadn't been there very long. Many of them were blaming the conversion to Christianity for the fall of Rome. Many were asking questions. Most were in a panic. And in the middle of that cauldron, that's when Augustine wrote the 22 volumes of the city of God. And the crux of what he wrote in the city of God was that there are two cities, the city of God or the kingdom of God and the city of man or the kingdom of man. In the city of God, Jesus is king and if you're a Christian, that's where your soul is. In the city of man, the culture is king. Here in our present moment, 2022, it is a good thing for you and I as Christians to decide which kingdom we are loyal to. The author of Hebrews, when he sets up all the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives us all of those names, 17 of them, and he, he puts a lot of focus on Abraham, and he tells us that Abraham, his faith was in God because he thought of the city whose builder is God. Now it's Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. We read the passage and we'll spend some time in it. From this Sunday to that Sunday, Easter, the Sunday that, that gives rise to all other Sundays, these two Sundays between them, it is good for us to remember and to focus and to think that we... Listen, we, we live on earth, but Jesus is our King. Now, I know you've got a lot to face. And I'm not saying we act like we don't have problems. And I'm not saying we don't stand up against the oppressive, evil culture. I'm not saying we don't do that. What I'm saying is that's not the, to that's not the totality of your fight. We have a King, and He rules. We live on earth, but Jesus is our king. Let's go to the passage and find out what kind of kingdom is this. You might ask the question, what kind of kingdom is this? Well, I'm no, I want you to notice in verse 28, 29, and even in 30, there you'll see it is the true kingdom, the true kingdom. You might have it on the outline as a true kingdom. I, felt, I didn't feel good about that, so I'm changing it. The true kingdom. Join me there in verse 28. Let's start the, let's start the story. And when he had said these things, what things? He had been teaching along the way, great parables, wonderful. Chapter 19 is a beautiful chapter. You see Zacchaeus back before that, all of these miracles. And after that, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When you approach Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem, regardless of where you're coming from. There he goes up to Jerusalem. He drew near to Bethphage. We don't know anything about that little town. Bethany, you can locate that one right there on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to send two of the disciples ahead. Why Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the city where David had founded. City of David, Jerusalem. David wanted to build the temple. God wouldn't let him do that. His son Solomon built the temple. The temple would be where God meets with his people because there must be a mediator. That temple would be the reminder of the tabernacle 
where God met with his people as he brought them out of Egypt. There at the temple, everybody went to Jerusalem because of the temple. There in the temple, sacrifice would be made. Animals, thousands, thousands of animals would be killed to make the people remember the cost of sin and what it takes to be reconciled to God. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem to found the true kingdom. All history has been headed up to Jerusalem. There he would go to the cross and there the final and finished sacrifice of Jesus on the cross would make us members of this kingdom. Jesus tells in verse 30, Jesus tells the two disciples, when you go into a town, I want you to get the colt. There's a colt there that no one has ever sat on. It's never been ridden. This cult, would be the, this cult would be the symbol of the purity of Jesus. You can look back through the Old Testament, and any time an animal was sacrificed, it had to be an animal that had not had a yoke on it, in Deuteronomy, and Numbers, even up in 1 Samuel, when they're pulling the cart, the purity. Not only that, when you read this passage and you see Jesus going up to Jerusalem, building a kingdom, you have here a kingdom that is built on the gospel. You and I sitting here, if you are in Christ, you're part of the kingdom of God. If you are in Christ and you're a member of this church, you're not just part of a church, you're part of a family. The truth of the matter is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not just in an organization where you can sort of come and go. You're in a family. But more than just a family that might be blood kin like you have brothers and sisters and cousins, you're in a family that is bound together by the blood of Jesus. We've been adopted by God the Father through the purchase of Jesus the Son and the glue of the Holy Spirit is that which holds us together. This is the kingdom we live in. That kingdom is built on the gospel. If you're a preacher, you'd like to, you'd like to watch preaching. It's a love-hate relationship. Honestly, uh, me and probably Kyler more than anybody I've ever known, he, he's a little bit of a preacher junkie. He watches more sermons. And uh, I, I'll tell you the truth. I am so tired of hearing preachers preach that don't get to the gospel. Come on now. I'm so sick of listening to guys that say they believe the Bible and never actually open it up and preach the Bible. Amen. I don't know why you wouldn't go into a pulpit equipped with studying the Bible, ready to preach the gospel and give it to your people because that's what they need. Man, the preachers won't preach the gospel, they need to get out of the pulpit. Yeah. I feel so much better getting that off my chest now. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the kingdom that we serve is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus built on the gospel of Christ, and that's all we have. Me or any other preacher that stands up here, Brother Kyler stands up here, Ph.D. in preaching. It's a Ph.D. in expository preaching. It's not rhetoric. That is the study of God's Word and bringing it to people. Nobody cares what a preacher thinks about something. Let's know what does the Bible say. That's how the kingdom of God is built. The gospel that says that Jesus Christ lived perfectly and there on the cross... He took judgment. You see, God must, because of His holiness, judge sin. And the sinner is judged or Jesus is judged. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ went to the cross to take the judgment of God in the place. 
the substitutionary atonement, the judgment of God in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. Here's Resurrection Sunday. Raised him from the dead as the declaration that, that Christ has won. God raised him from the dead and the free offer of free grace. Is it anybody in this room that hears this and for the first time your eyes are open and you think, that's what I want? You then become a son or a daughter of God. This is the true kingdom. That's not the only thing you find here. You'll find something else. This is also a sovereign. His kingdom is a sovereign kingdom. Go back with me to the, to the text. The story continues. They've gone up now. Verse 30, he says to them, back up in verse 29, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples and he said, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied no one has ever sat on. Untie it, bring it here. And if anybody asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say that the Lord has need of it. If you keep reading, that's exactly what's going to happen. They go into this village, they see the colt, like Jesus said, and they go to get it. And as they're untying it, verse 32 and 33, the owners say... What are, you, what are you doing? And they say, well, the, the Lord has need of it. Now, I'd just like for you to try that sometime. Yeah. Just come up and say, hey, uh, preacher, I'd like to, I need your car. Can you give me the keys, please? And I'm going to say, what do, you, what do you think you are? And you say to me, the Lord has need of it. I'm, I'm going to say, you're insane. <laughs> well, I mean, what happens here? That you see that, that there is, I mean, maybe the, maybe the owners of the cult knew Jesus. Maybe they were disciples, possibly. But the, the point remains that here is the sovereign Lord. The absolute ownership. That Christ now calling all of it His. In this passage, you have the ownership that he, Christ owns it all. The, the Lordship, you have the rulership. One of the great mercies of being a child of God is being accepted by God in Christ. And one of the great privileges of being a child of God is you come open-handedly and everything you have belongs to Him. Amen. What a wonderful way to live, holding on loosely to things and holding on tightly to the gospel. Here is the sovereign kingdom of Jesus. It's a good reminder. <clears throat> it is for me anyway. When I think about the chaos of this world, and if you have a, a young child, have a, have a baby, or three or four, five, or six, you, you think about raising a child in this world, you can't help but think, God, it, it feels so different than it did even 30 years ago. And yet, if you're a believer, you can take joy in the, in the sovereign kingdom of Jesus. Let me give you something else you might be helped by. A third thing down there in verse 32, and that is that this is a protected, a protected kingdom. Go with me there to verse 31 and 32. Let's take a run and jump at it. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, that the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and, and slow down. Luke is quick to tell us. They found it just as he had told them. It was exactly as if it had been premeditated, as if this is part of his knowledge. Here is Jesus presented to us 
as the omniscient one. Here is Jesus, if you can handle it, who has four knowledge. Here is Jesus that knows everything. Sometimes when you're insulted by somebody, you might think to yourself, if they only knew me, they wouldn't say that about me. The truth is, if they actually knew you like God knows you, they'd say worse about you. The knowledge of God that Jesus knows. Omniscience is a wonderful thing if you're a believer. It is a terrible thing if you're living in sin. It is a wonderful thing if you're living in a way that, that each day you're facing challenges. And you wonder, does somebody know? Jesus knows. It's a terrible thing if you're running, hiding sin, hoping nobody will find out. I'm here to tell you Jesus right now with eyes of fire looks into your life. He knows. It is an alarming thing. The knowledge, of, the knowledge of God, God the Father or God the Son, the knowledge of God is an alarming thing to sinners. The knowledge of God is a comforting thing. It is good to know that what you're walking into, He knows. It is good to know. I had a funeral here yesterday and tragic death of a young man young widow standing here and his brother's here today. It's, it's just good for, it's good for you to know that he, that he knows. The knowledge of God is strengthening to believers. The knowledge of God gives confidence. I can walk out of here and, and face what you have to face on Monday. Talk to a dear brother walking through the lobby and just ask me to pray for his health, some things he's wrestling with. It, there's confidence Knowing that God knows. This is a kingdom that we've been adopted into, been brought into. It is a protected kingdom. Let's not live like God doesn't know what's going on in our lives. That knowledge of God, that He knows your sin, brother or sister, if you are in sin or, or if you're here today and you you think you're too terrible, let me just say, He knows and yet still loves. He's not like us. We know and decide we don't like. God knows and in Jesus loves. You come to the cross of Jesus and there the guilt is removed and the free offer of grace is if you put your faith in Christ who lived perfectly, died on the cross, God raised Him from the dead, if you'll believe that, Turn from sin. Believe that. God will forgive you. And you become part of this protected kingdom. That's not the only thing you'll find there if you keep looking at it. Not only is this a protected kingdom, this is a biblical kingdom. I couldn't think of any other way to say it. Biblical kingdom. Because this whole passage throbs with the truth from the Old Testament. This whole passage is saturated with the Old Testament. You find Zechariah there. You find Psalm 118 there. You have allusions to, to 2 Kings. You have 1 Samuel. You have Deuteronomy, Numbers. But Jesus, what is He doing here? It's an interesting thing. Verse 32. Those who were sent went away, found the colt just as He had told them. They were untying it. And its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks, there's a saddle now, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now that should make us pause. 
We've been following the life of Jesus. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every one of the narratives is a travel narrative. It is Jesus walking, walking along the road. Jesus walking along the road. Every time we ever see him motivate anywhere, he's always walking. And now this last journey, for the very first time in the entire gospel account, you have Jesus now riding. Why would he do that? You know why? Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament there. He knows what the scripture says. He knows that he has come to fulfill all the prophecies, even those that seem obscure. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is what the Bible says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, he's not walking, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation and humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew that. His entire earthly ministry has been fulfilling all the prophecies and he would not let one of them drop. So for the very first time, sits on the foal of a donkey, rides into Jerusalem. There was a time when, um, when even those that were not believers at least knew a little bit of the Bible. 50, maybe 100 years ago when Western society had been established on Christian and Jewish roots, those roots led all the way down to the Bible. People knew at least some biblical truth, even as, uh, as late as World War I in 1917, when Field Marshal Allenby, after the Ottoman Empire fell, before the Allies won, he marched into Palestine there with his army, and he came up to the Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem. And Allenby, who was a bull of a man, Allenby knew enough of the Bible to get down off his horse. And when he came to take Jerusalem, walked in because he didn't want to do what he knew Jesus had done. Right in as king, he would walk in as a man. You see, the kingdom we live in is a biblical kingdom. A kingdom that is in, informed and strengthened by the Bible. Every brother or sister of mine in Christ sitting in this room, your strength comes from the Bible. Why we worship like we do, why we start every service reading the Bible, why on Sundays a man gets up here, opens the Bible, reads it, and talks about this story is because the kingdom that we live in is a biblical kingdom. But that's not all it is. Let's not... Let's not say that that makes us uh, legalists. We don't want to do that. You'll notice that these people are joyful. In fact, we can say it like that. That the kingdom of Jesus is a joyful kingdom. Go with me now and watch the crowds in verse 36 and 37. So I rode along and they've already put cloaks on this donkey for a saddle. Now they're taking off their cloaks and putting it on the road like a red carpet. Verse 36. He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. They did this for Jehu as well. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, before he went over the Kidron Brook and up into, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude, not just the twelve, who knows how many are doing this. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. Pause. 
rejoice. Let's not forget now, brothers and sisters, that as a Christian, that which fuels our hearts is joy. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. How are you going to make it through your next day? The joy of the Lord is your strength. This week I got a note from a lady. I don't think she's able to walk anymore. It's been years since I've seen her. She wrote a long note, and it wasn't about her condition or the fact that she was a widow. It was all about the goodness of God and the joy that He brought to her heart. And I thought to myself, that is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength when you're able to confess sin, when you confess your sin to God and you're forgiven. There's nothing like being forgiven. When you're filled with grace, when you, when you receive the offer of the free grace of God, you can rejoice in what God has done in you, a vile sinner now made clean by the blood of Jesus. That's one of the reasons we sing like we do. We ought to sing with some level of enthusiasm. Because there's something has happened. Now, I don't want you running laps around here and getting carried away. But I don't mind you getting close. No doubt about that. I want us to be a group of people that rejoice in what God has done in us because of Jesus. And it's not a show. It doesn't become a place for you to display the fact that you are the most enthusiastic. It becomes the truth of what God has done in you because of Jesus. And so we sing like we do. The songs we sing are there to evoke and remind us to worship this living God. To think on the fact that you were a slave doomed for hell. And God looked at you in your sin, if you're in Christ, and saved you, cleaned you up, brought you home, and gave you His name. Now that's enough for you to sing about right there. It is a joyful, one of the great things, let's not forget, it is good to be a child of God. Not because of how good you've been or, or what a nice person you are or you work so hard. There's nothing in you that made you a child of God. It is God who loved you in Christ and redeemed you. We sing it. That, 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 that grace of God is amazing grace. It's a joyful kingdom. <clears throat> but not only a joyful kingdom. Keep looking at verse 37. Let's see if we can just, just divide it all the way through. You also have here a flourishing, flourishing kingdom. Go back with me to verse 37. Let me just read, listen to the people, what they say. Verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God. This is a flourishing kingdom. This is not legalism. This is not oppressive. There is a real sense of genuine freedom these people walking with their Savior. Now, they don't know what they're going into, but they know they are with Him. One of the great joys of life is the freedom you have in Christ. Look, I, I'm all for playing by the rules, and you should. And we ought to have doctrine so square and so right that it cuts you when you walk by it. But let's not make it so sharp that we forget that that sharp doctrine is that which has given us wonderful freedom in Christ, that has set us up to flourish. God has redeemed you and saved you if you are in Christ. He's done so not to be oppressive on your heart, but to give freedom to your soul. 
This is a flourishing. Look at the people praising God. Here they are praising. But not only that, this is a, this is a bold kingdom. Go back with me to verse 37. Verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, they began to rejoice and praise God. And they did so with a loud voice. Loud voice. Now, I don't want to take this. I don't think everybody should be loud. I don't think everybody should be an extrovert. In fact, I was told a day before church, a lady came by and she said, you sure are loud. Just randomly said that to me. I said, ma'am, I'm paid to be loud. I do it for a living. I'm not really talking about volume here as much as I'm talking about actual boldness. The kingdom that we are part of, there is a sense of, of freedom and boldness. There is a sense of being obvious and unashamed. There is a sense where you and I are going to stick out in such a way. There's not much I admire about the Amish. Not much. Make good furniture and probably good food. But you know what I like about the Amish people? You know one when you see them. Because of the crazy way they're dressed. Now, we ought to just put on our black garb and our black hats now. Because we live in a culture, I don't want to look like that. I'm not talking physically, I mean spirit. I, I don't want to drift over into being part of a culture that's not identified with Christ. These people have thrown their lot in with Jesus. And they're proclaiming loudly, unashamedly. You and I, brothers and sisters, we are living in a time when we are going to have to be willing to suffer. And part of my job, my obligation that God has called me to do is to lead you, lead this church, the brothers and sisters in Christ, to strengthen and to get ready for all that is coming. Our, I wish I was, just for a moment, could could stand with Ukrainian Christians and just preach this right here. Because they know what it is to suffer. We don't know. We're not being shot at. But we live in a world that hates everything we believe. And more and more, we're going to have to be bold and willing, have a willingness to say, I'm with the man on the donkey. I'm with him and I'm glad to be with him. He's a bold kingdom. Let me give you something else you might want to consider. As you look at verse 37, it is also that this kingdom is a fruitful kingdom. They're praising God, verse 37. They're, they're doing it loudly. But notice why they're doing it. They're rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen because Jesus had walked with them and healed people, given sight to the blind even with, even with Zacchaeus, a wee little man, he didn't make him any taller, but he did open his eyes to see the kingdom of God in Christ. And they're celebrating what Christ has done by way of miracles. Look, if opening the physical eyes of someone is a wonderful thing to praise, shouldn't you and I give thanks to God for bringing us from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ? We have a fruitful. God has given you and saved you so that you might bear real fruit as the indication of what has happened in you, bearing real fruit. This kingdom that we serve is also 
This is my ninth point. You don't get to say that much in a sermon. Ninth point. Point number nine. This is a, a peaceful kingdom. Peaceful. Join me there in verse 38. And when I read it, listen to it and see if it sounds familiar to you in some way. Look at it with me in verse 38. And they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's Psalm 118. It's a Hillel psalm. It's a praise psalm. They're, they're, this is messianic. But this is the part I want you to see. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay, so this is the end of Jesus' life. Do you remember the beginning? Think back. Christmas. Luke chapter 2. Remember the beginning? And when the angels in heaven and they sang glory to God in the highest, peace on what? Yeah, peace on earth. Back in Luke 2, we got a heavenly, we got a heavenly choir singing about peace on earth. Now there's an earthly choir singing about peace in heaven. Because that's where the real problem is. A holy God won't receive sinful people into his kingdom that do not come through the blood of Jesus. And as they go up, they're saying more than they knew. Peace in heaven. This one has come to give us peace in heaven. This is a peaceful kingdom. You won't have peace on earth. Anything you're facing till you have peace in heaven through faith in Jesus. One last one and I'll be done. This is an unstoppable kingdom. Unstoppable. Join me there in verse 39 and 40. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees, by the way, this is the last time Luke will ever even use the word Pharisee. He throws them out after this. <clears throat> verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones. You know what Jesus is saying? That there is not one thing in this created world that can stop the, advance, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Not one. That all creation, what did Paul say in Romans? All creation groans. What did the psalmist say? That the heavens declare the glory of God. What did Jesus say about the church upon this? I'll build my church in the gates of hell. Jesus says, look, if these people don't praise, everything here will break out singing the songs of heaven. Brothers and sisters, we, we live on earth, but Jesus is our king. His kingdom is one that is established in grace. It's found at the cross. It is established in this passage. The kingdom of God given to us through the perfect life of Jesus the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in the place of sinners, His victorious resurrection that announces He's won, and then the offer of free grace to any of you here that wish to join the kingdom of God, it's found in Christ. It is my prayer that you are a part of the true kingdom. You join me as we pray together with your, heads with your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer and dedication. We'll sing a song in just a moment. That song is there for us to worship, but it's also an opportunity for any of you here
that are, you don't know if you're even a Christian or not. You're not sure. If you'd like to talk further about what that means to give your life to Jesus Christ, a good time to do that is when we sing. You can come forward. Our pastors are around here, down at the front. If you would prefer, if, if, if it suits you better, after church, all of our pastors will be in the lobby. And they would love to talk to you about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ and join the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church, for the men and women you've given me to serve with. Thank you for bringing us into the kingdom of God through Christ. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen our faith, that you comfort our hearts, that you would draw us near. Pray that you find us faithful, sharing Christ. Pray that you make it so that we are a part of this bold kingdom, standing, joyfully standing for the grace of God found in Jesus. Father, I pray you help brothers and sisters here that need extra measure of grace today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.